Welcome to This Week at TMS. I'm your host, Ben Dieter. Two years ago, Miami conducted its first campus climate survey since 2002 and received a dismal response from the university community. Reporter Dan Wozniak tells us where the survey stands now. It's Friday, September 13th. Dan Wozniak. Some people might hear climate survey and think that it's, you know, referring to the weather. So can you clear that up? What exactly is the climate survey? Yeah, of course. The climate survey asks respondents about their personal experiences on campus and cover topics including diversity, sexual harassment, and assault. It was pretty much created to assess where we are as an institution and what we need to work on. How exactly did they go about conducting this survey? Was it like online? Like what what was the method and did they did they like bring anybody in to to help conduct it or was it just the university? Yeah, well the university sent out emails and students could take it online and the organization that they went through to carry out and conduct a survey was Rankin and Associates and they're a consulting company that specializes in higher education assessments and evaluations. Cool. And I understand that Miami had conducted like two prior surveys in 1996 and 02 and those had kind of received middling responses and didn't necessarily have useful information. So uh, what about this most recent survey? What was the response from you know, the Miami community and the student body in particular? Well, the 2017 survey received a fairly solid response rate from faculty and staff, but struggled with getting graduate and undergraduate students to take the survey. Only 17% of undergraduate students responded to the survey, which is pretty unfortunate because the university didn't really reach that critical threshold in uh, fully legitimizing their student response data. Um, I do want to clarify that Rankin and Associates determined that Miami's climate findings were consistent with those of higher education institutions across the nation. Um, I tried to reach out to them and um, find out whether or not our undergraduate participation rate com- like, or how it compared to the national average, but I didn't get a response. And what exactly does that mean, like consistent with those across other higher education institutions? Is it just because similar questions were asked? Uh, what Can you clarify a little bit of what that means for us? Similar questions were asked and similar um, outcomes from those questions. So they deemed that there was nothing extremely unusual um, about our results from the survey. Okay. And so in your story, you quoted Ron Scott, who's the vice president for institutional diversity at Miami. And he said that students were incentivized to take that survey. And from what I remember when I was here, because I was a I was a sophomore when the survey happened, where you were a freshman, right, yes. when it happened. I remember there wasn't a great deal of incentive. So what exactly did that mean in practice when he's talking about students are incentivized to take the survey? Well, Dr. Scott um, was pretty adamant that students were incentivized to take the survey, but if you look at the results, it's hard to sit back and accept that statement. I mean, a few bucks from Amazon, a free drink, these are all things that students probably don't value as much as an hour of their time. I wish it was different, but it's just not the case. 
Scott said he did everything in his power to gather the resources for incentives, and he did extend the survey response date so more people could take it. He said the only thing that he couldn't do was mandate that teachers set aside class time for students to take the survey. I agree that expecting professors to take to dedicate a full class period to take the survey is a little extreme. However, I do think the administration should have mandated that professors offer extra credit for those that did take the survey. Yeah, I definitely remember a lot of that conversation around campus being like, why don't we just like take it in class? There seemed like so many other avenues than having students just give some of their time. And I know that might seem a little unfair on the face, uh, but especially if the response was relatively middling, I would think they'd want to do whatever they could. Yeah, I mean, those who took the survey because they cared, I definitely commend you, but those who chose not to take the survey because they were too busy or they fully didn't grasp the importance of spending an hour of their time answering questions about how they feel um, just for for very little monetary gain, I definitely understand that. So I guess it's just educating the general public about the importance of the survey and then just further incentivizing those who did do take the survey because people respond to incentives. So what kinds of specific questions did the uh, did the survey ask? Do you have maybe an example or two or just kind of the general area that the university was uh, was curious about? Yeah, uh, the survey asked questions like, have you personally experienced exclusionary, intimidating, offensive conduct? Or do you know anybody that has experienced exclusionary, intimidating, offensive conduct? The questions were all thought out and designed just to extract the most information out of the person taking the survey as possible, just to gauge where they are and how they feel about the the university. And as I understand, if someone did, you know, answer like yes to say, you know, have you personally experienced exclusionary, intimidating, offensive, or hostile conduct, uh, that their survey then became, you know, just a little bit longer. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah, that seemed, I think, I remember that that struck a lot of students as a little bit counterintuitive and kind of made them a little bit more likely to maybe not, you know, take the survey. But I mean, that's granted, I don't think that can be generalized. I just remember a lot of people talking to me about that for sure. I mean, I'm sure the idea behind that is that those who feel a certain way or have those negative experiences or feelings, um, ranking associates and the university wants to focus on those groups of people the most. So I'm sure um, that there is a specific reason why um, the survey became longer for those groups of people that's based in science. And I'm sure the reasoning behind all that um, is is based on past surveys. I believe Rankin and Associates has conducted 170 surveys in the past. We'll be right back. Okay, so the response was relatively dismal from students, didn't hit that specific threshold. So what did some of those results say about Miami's climate around these issues of diversity and people's experiences of intolerance and that kind of thing? Well, if you want to, if anybody wants to look at the exact numbers, 
um, from the survey. They can find the executive summary online um, on Miami's website. And um, if anybody wants to look at the full report, it's at um, all Miami University libraries. You just have to check it out. Um, but I guess the survey um, concluded what you'd expect. Um, men seem to struggle more than women. Minorities feel less secure than non-minorities, and members of the LGBT community feel less secure than the heterosexual population. Um, again, Rankin Associates concluded that our climate is similar to other colleges, uh, but those are some that's pretty much what the data concluded. And when you say less secure in relation to LGBT and minorities, is that, you know, less secure as in like less safe, like more likely to experience some kind of incident of intolerance? Yeah. So um, most likely to have experienced some sort of incident of hostility or felt intimidated, felt like at some point they wanted to leave the university, didn't feel safe, things like that. And we certainly see students responding to incidents like this and these feelings in this you know, area around intolerance and everything with big demonstrations and protests. Like just this semester, we saw the college Dems and some other groups on campus put on an anti-white supremacy rally. No Trump, no KKK, no fascist USA. No Trump, no KKK, no fascist USA. And then men seem to struggle more than women. That was that's a little surprising to hear. What exactly did they find in relation to that? I guess just that men in general didn't feel as comfortable with the university or their standing in the university or just their lives in general. I guess that makes sense because more men commit suicide than women. More men have alcohol and drug abuse issues. So... I guess you could say that a lot the results from the survey were what you'd expect. Because the response rate from students was, you know, smaller than they had envisioned, that it was it was a number that they couldn't generalize to the entire student population. They couldn't take what they found and say, "Oh, this is, you know, pretty general." Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. And so then what does the university, you know, do from here? If they can't generalize, like, what what is their next step once they have these results? After the survey was conducted, the Climate Survey Task Force spent around a year analyzing the data and compiling information and recommend that the university focus on improving faculty, staff, and student communication, education, and and or training and assessment of all things directly and indirectly related to diversity and inclusion. What does that mean, faculty, staff, and student communication in particular? The, they pretty much want administrators and leaders of the university to have more informal meetings and informal interactions with faculty and staff and trying to encourage faculty and staff members to attend more university events just to increase camaraderie and build friendships. So the goal is to just kind of make it more collegial overall of a university environment, it sounds like. Yes. Uh, they're trying to increase awareness. The president has a new um, like series every month. I forgot what it's called. Um, it's in my article. 
and some of them have diversity and inclusion related uh, stories incorporated within them. In the past year or two, they introduced like all campus memos where everybody on campus, faculty, staff, students, receives these emails, and uh, some of them have to do with diversity inclusion related things. Um, so, so then further on the diversity and inclusion issue, what sorts of recommendations did the, this climate task force make in relation to the student body specifically? Well, some of the recommendations that were made were mandating that all first-year students take a diversity and inclusion training and a bias awareness training through EverFi. And that's like the uh, like Greek Life EDU or Alcohol EDU or the, um, the Haven thing that we all did for sexual assault. Is that right? Yeah. It's the company that just has video tutorials that try to educate people on specific issues. Also, Miami's Center for American World Cultures has begun uh, piloting and implementing some new programs that deal with diversity and inclusion. I believe one of them is called Voices of Discovery, and the other one's called Strength Through Cultural Diversity. They started piloting last semester for the first time intergroup dialogue sessions among undergraduate students. I'm not super knowledgeable about what those are, but... Uh, students can pretty much just get credit for attending those. Yeah. And From what I know about those, it's more about just, you know, giving students an opportunity to participate in dialogue with people who are different from them, come from different backgrounds. So it seems like that's pretty consistent with the climate survey findings in that it's a good avenue maybe to accomplish that. Yeah, it, it does seem like a great avenue. It just comes down to... How do you incentivize students to show up to those and participate in those? Because that's always a struggle. I also noticed from some prior coverage that we had had that nearly 60% of the staff that responded had said they seriously considered leaving Miami. That's I, I looked at that and thought it was pretty staggering. So what was the task force prescription for faculty and staff? I know we kind of talked about increasing, you know, collegiality and camaraderie, that kind of thing. Was there anything else? Yeah, um, they want to bring back a uh, faculty and staff dining area where staff can gather for lunch and meet up outside of their offices and departments uh, they used to have a place like that called 1809, but it closed in 2014. I don't know the exact reason why. I know that where it used to be, it's like currently just vacant, but they plan on using that space for something else. But the president wants to bring that 1809 experience back. The last thing that I want to ask you, Dan, is you know more you know your own viewpoint in in nature. What is your big takeaway from the story, both as a reporter and as a student who is here for the whole climate survey thing? Well, I guess my big takeaway from the story is that we as an institution are not diverse enough. Um, in comparison to other four-year public universities, our African-American and Latino student population is relatively small. The good news is that the conversation is happening and at and everything is really on the table. 
the university is moving forward in the right direction. It's just up to the president and the provost to implement what needs to be implemented and figure out how they're going to assess the university's progress because they still haven't really figured out how they're going to monitor growth and assess where we are, which seems troubling. But if they move fast and if they move strategically, I think we'll see some progress. At least I hope so. I'm sure there are a lot of variables at play when it comes to this issue, but at the end of the day, it's not just up to the administration. It's also up to the student body to take some initiative and take some responsibility to spread love and just show that we're an accepting student population. Dan Wozniak, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks. This Week at TMS is produced and edited by me with supervising production from our managing editor, Kaylee Doyle. Special thanks to Miami's Media, Journalism, and Film Department. Our theme music is composed by Sam Terabellini. That's all for this week at TMS. Tune in to the Miami Student on SoundCloud next Friday for a new episode. I'm Ben Dieter. See you next week. Love and honor.